podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to... Uh, I nearly got the podcast name wrong. <laughs> Welcome to the Villa View. And do not adjust your television sets because Dan Bardell is uh, is not able to make it today. So yes, the lunatic is running the asylum, and I'm done. This is that's me, Neil. By the way, not not David. David's absolutely the opposite <laughs> of the uh, of, of a lunatic. So, uh, but as you guys know. Um, I am joined today by David Reed from um, from Sky, so I'm delighted to be to, to, to be here, to be given the opportunity to to present the Villa View and uh, to have somebody with your considerable footballing knowledge, Mister Reed. Well, I mean, you're saying that now. You might not be saying that at the end. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'd be, I'm, you, you know considerably more than I do, anyway, because I'm up <laughs> since about four thirty this morning, and I stayed up to watch a good bit of the NFL draft last night. So I'm running uh, yeah. out of vapors now. I'm running out of vapors at the moment. So I could fair start fight, talking about fight. any any other team other than Manchester United. But that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Manchester United versus Aston Villa. And it's it, it, it's crazy. I, I know you've probably spoken to Dad about this uh, with Dan already, uh, Deborah, but it, it's a case whereby this is another European eliminator for Aston Villa. And it's absolutely brilliant to have it because... We've so long we've been waiting to even get get out of eleventh place, and now we've got another big big tie versus Manchester United in Old Trafford, with added incentive of beating them twice in a year for the first time since nineteen fifty something. Yeah, I mean, it was it's funny because we we almost couldn't get out of that eleventh place. Um, a little bit like Chelsea now, who seem to have been forever on thirty nine points, but uh, we, we managed to obviously move move up the table, and now the games. Every every single game at the moment seems to mean something. I think that's great. And, and when I say it's great, I mean it's great that we're not at the other end of the table and the games mean something because that those mm. games are just horrible to watch. But these ones are actually exciting. Um, we kind of know the sort of performance that Villa are going to put on. I mean, when we're fighting or have been fighting at the other end of the table, sometimes you wouldn't really be sure which Aston Villa team we're going to we're going to turn up. But the consistency that this team has shown has been remarkable over the past few months. And it's really exciting. I mean, who who would have thought a few months ago that we'd be talking about European football eliminators? I think certainly if we were to get beaten on Sunday, then I think we would probably have to say goodbye to any potential talk. It feels mad me saying this, but any potential talk of Champions League and a top four finish. Um, and we would have to be kind of probably a little bit lucky if we were to end up in the in the top seven for European football as well. So... It seems mad to be talking about European football eliminators, but that's kind of where we're at now. And I think Unai Emery thrives on these sorts of games. I think he's really good in kind of... I mean, we've we've spoken before about uh, his kind of cup record and how good he is in one-off matches, Unai Emery. And these, these kind of games feel like one-off matches because it's almost... You, you must not lose. You can take a point and you can win, but you've got to stay in the game and stay in the running for these... European places so that's what is exciting that the manager knows exactly what he's doing he thrives on this type of pressure and I, I feel like the players are growing into these type of pressure games as well and you, you hear it in the post-match interviews and in the pre-match interviews that they seem to be enjoying uh, playing under these these types of pressure moments so it'd be interesting to see how they get on at the weekend. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely chomping at the bit for it for a number of reasons. And um, I'm delighted to get to, to do this match preview, which is sponsored by Luke, as you can see there in the top left-hand corner. And for 20% off, you can use the code TVV, TVV20 and uh, you can get yourself something nice before the game at the weekend if you want. I know it won't be delivered uh, before the weekend, but uh, listen, we can't do absolutely everything for you. You know, we can't do everything for you. But uh, <laughs> one of the funny things I think about this game on Sunday is that usually Aston Villa will be coming into a game like this, having played on a Tuesday, and albeit we're in, we're in a good run, we're in a superb run of form um, at the moment, we would be saying, you know, uh, the game on Tuesday might have taken something out of us, and with 37-year-old legs of Ashley Young on the right-hand side for Villa, is that going to be an issue? But then you conversely look at Manchester United, who played on, on Thursday night and were visibly out of steam after 45 minutes. Uh, do you think that this, the, 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 the short turnaround times, is, is it that obvious, that, should I say, that those short turnaround times for Manchester United has to be a hindrance for them and that Villa should be ready to catch them cold on Sunday? Uh, I think it is a factor. Um, I think if, they, if United had have played three... Um, lesser games that had less significance on it mm. I think it would have been easier for them but I think simply because there was an FA Cup semi-final in there that went the distance there was a really crucial game then against Tottenham Hotspur uh, and then this game on Sunday I feel like that will have an impact and I, I feel like we saw that last night for Manchester United I don't know whether I mean the, the, the fact that United lost so much control in that second half against Tottenham was a real surprise and I think that would have set alarm bells ringing for, for Eric Ten Hag and it, it might tempt him into freshening up that starting 11 for the game on Sunday. So it'd be interesting to see their their starting lineup. and I don't know whether it was tired minds against Tottenham in that second half that kind of forced them into doing things that they wouldn't do. I thought United went too long, too quickly in the second half, which I, I thought was a little bit unusual. Um, whether that was down to the tired minds or, or, or a, a tactical instruction from Eric Ten Hag, I can't imagine it would have been, but it'd be interesting to see whether there, there is a freshen up come Sunday. And you mentioned about freshening it up. It, 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 and we spoke previously about it, you know, you get watched the game against Spurs during the week. Um, I was literally there. I jumped off the couch and the most excited I got in the whole game was uh, when Lindelof turned, I think it was Son upside down and he'd already been on a yellow card and I was like, he's going to get a second yellow card. He's going to be sent off. And why was I looking, why was that, that so crucial? Because they were already playing Sean, that auxiliary centre half role. Harry Maguire, Phil Jones, uh, Lissandro Martinez and Varane are all injured. So they have a crisis at the, at the centre half position. I would imagine that we would have seen, if that had happened, we would have seen a Sean Casemiro um, centre-half partnership and while it could have been absolutely sparkling you always want lack of communication between your centre-halves do you think that you know at the weekend when you're talking about where they could freshen up that team at the weekend I don't see where they could do it in the back four but where do you see maybe the freshening up that Manchester United could do within that team well Martial came off the bench didn't he I wonder whether they might decide to freshen up in the forward line I think midfield is an interesting area as well I mean Christian Eriksen was out for a long time and has seemingly come back and played a lot of minutes since that injury. So whether they decide to to switch him out, I, I can't see Casemiro or Bruno Fernandez coming out of that side. But I wonder whether they kind of decide to switch uh, Rashford out to the out to the the side and maybe go through the middle with Martial. Um, and maybe maybe I mean Sancho's played so well, so it'd be feel unfortunate that 
he might drop out drop out of the side but um i feel like it is in midfield and perhaps in the forward line that eric ten Hag might decide to to freshen things up but as i say anthony sancho seems to be playing very well at the moment and rashford on a uh, kind of hanging on the shoulder of of um of, of defenders at the moment i feel like that's is probably his best position and I think he's growing into that centre forward role as the season goes on. He's had a, a magnificent season, Marcus Rashford. So um, that that's the only kind of area I can't imagine. As you say, the options in defence are, are pretty slim. I mean, they've been playing Wan Bissaka mm. uh, right back and Dallow at left back, um, and positions that perhaps aren't or haven't been particularly familiar to to some of those players. And you mentioned one there, Luke Shaw, who has played a lot. Of, centre back this season perhaps hadn't played so much in that position previous to this campaign so he's got a, a lot of players in positions that maybe certainly in defense that they're, they're not particularly familiar with so that might be a an area that that villa can take advantage of you actually you actually um kind of preempted my next question there and that was with regards to uh uh one bisaka and and dala playing uh playing well specifically dala moving over onto that left hand side Without jinxing the whole situation on Sunday, I'm very much hoping that Dalla plays on, on, on that left-hand side. I'm I'm not sure of him even on the right-hand side, but when you move him over to the left-hand side, I think he's somebody that can be got at. Um, he has some sparkling displays. He has some some displays. I suppose like most full-backs, but, but uh, I think that he's going to be an area of concern for Manchester United if they play him over there. And what the question I wanted to ask was, I thought that against Spurs when they brought on Malassia, they didn't get any better when they when they brought him on and moved Dallard over to the right hand side. Is uh, should Villa have been attacking through the centre an awful lot this this season? Or with Casemiro and Eriksen potentially being in there, do you think that they tried to exploit uh, the, the the either side? And I suppose really going down Aaron Wan-Bissaka's wing at the moment is a fruitless experience because he's playing superbly. Do you think they maybe ex- exploit a young Malassia if he plays or Dalot if he's over on that side? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the um, the first game that Emery had in charge was Manchester United at home mm. and, and United really struggled with um, Villa's uh, wide midfield that day. Um, Ramsey, I think it was Ramsey and Buendia that played in the wide positions that day. Yes. Uh, and those players coming inside and moving into those number 10 positions, as we've seen quite a lot really now under Unai Emery. And it was a an interesting kind of watch that game when I think Dallow and Shaw were the fullbacks and they weren't sure whether to follow the wide players into those central areas or whether a centre-back was going to, one of the centre-backs was going to step out to, to pick up the, the wide midfielder coming inside or whether it was going to be Casemiro that was going to pick up the midfield. So it was that confusion that enabled Villa to create quite a few of their chances for Moreno down the left-hand side. As you say, I mean, Wampasaka is a great 1v1 defender. You'd think that Ten Hag might like to see him up against um, someone like uh, Moreno on that left-hand side because you would feel like Ten Hag uh, would think that Wampasaka would have the, the beating of Moreno in a 1v1 situation. But given the performances recently of of, of Moreno, I mean, you, you'd back him up against any any kind of fullback in the Premier League. And it's interesting whether, you know, United's fullbacks, Malassia, um, Dallow, Wan-Bissaka at times when United have the ball have, have been inverting quite a lot and playing alongside a central midfielder. So that might be something that we see on, on Sunday to try and... Um, counter those wide midfielders of Villa coming inside if if they even do because I mean Ramsey's coming inside a lot but 
Um, McGinn, as we've seen, has been staying quite wide on that right-hand side and he might be an outlet um, in behind Dallo uh, because you feel like McGinn might be able to get at him. Mm, I agree. And uh, I am looking forward to John McGinn uh, kind of hammering the hammer over there with Dallo and making sure that he stays at home. And, you know, McGinn's industry is, is vital to Aston Villa because even when he's not playing well, he's got an engine, like he's got a nuclear engine on him. He's able to just fly around the field um, uh, tirelessly and, uh, and be a nuisance. And if we flip it over to the Aston Villa side, I, oh, look, it's, it's one of those ones. We're not expecting any changes. We, myself and, uh, and the co-host of my own podcast, Fatty, we, we have this joke about same team, same subs, because of an anecdote that Richard Dunn told us about Martin O'Neill one time, um, that he just came into the dressing room and said, OK, lads, same team, same subs, close the door and walked out again. <laughs> but, it's, uh, so I, but we're at the stage now, I suppose, really, where we've got such a settled team. And in converse to Manchester United, it's, a, it's been a huge positive for Astonville over the last 10 games because there's been very little chopping and changing. There's been very little situation whereby, um, you, you know, that, that, uh, that you could introduce an extra variable into the team. But the team are thriving in that aspect. And that's down to really good management, I think. But if Villa were to make any changes to this team at the weekend, where do you think that they might come? I think credit has to go to what the club did in January because I think they could have easily gone out and spent money mm -hmm. if they wanted to. And I think it was the choice of, of the head coach really not to go out and spend a lot of money on players. He, he obviously brought back Bertrand Traore, who, as we've seen, the impact that he's had, he's well-liked amongst the group. And I think that's had a positive impact um, and, and really, he's Aston Villa's player anyway, so it made sense to bring him back rather than spending money on a player to come in in January, which is um, a difficult time for any player to come into a squad in a January transfer window and hit the ground running. Um, I think it probably will be same team, same subs, because that tight-knit squad um, has meant that you know Villa haven't had the cup games to worry about. We would have obviously loved to have got past Stevenage, but it meant that mm. we've got that tight-knit squad and it's kind of brought together the group. I think that's helped lift the players. I think, um, I mean, if you were going to, I mean, we heard Unai Emery earlier today, it's it's the same injury situation. So no no Cash, uh, no Bailey, no Coutinho, um, no Kamara still. They're hoping to be in group training, I think, starting next week. Um, so... It will be the same. I mean, the only possible change you could see is Bertrand Shorey coming in. But given the performances uh, of everybody, I can't really see him coming in at all. And Leander Dendonka is an interesting one because I think some Villa fans might have kind of written him off a little bit earlier this season as, as not being, yeah, as not being perhaps <laughs> suited to the team, not being at the required level that, that Villa were looking at in that central area. But he's come in and he does everything neat and tidy and he gets about the pitch. And he hasn't really put a foot wrong over the last few games. And he played in Unai Emery's first game as well against Manchester United at Villa Park. And he had a a job where he was kind of off the ball, pushing onto Casemiro and almost trying to man mark him as one of our as one of our kind of central midfield players pushing on um, when United have the ball onto onto Casemiro. So whether he'll perform a similar role, we'll have to wait and see. But he's one who's who's done exceptionally well since he's come into the side. Um, I can't see him moving out, so I think it will be same team, same subs. Off we go. <laughs> you mentioned the people that are out injured, Bailey, Kamara, Coutinho, Cash. Um, if you had a magic wand in the morning, David, who, would you, who do you think would be the most, uh, the, the player that, that, that needs to come back imminently, really, to give, to give a small bit of respite to this team? 
I mean, it's the obvious one, isn't it? But it's it's Kamara. Um, he's such his his quality. I don't think we have anyone who's quite the same as him. That's able to do the same job. Um, he helps us so much in build up, taking the ball under pressure. He's able to wriggle out of tight areas. He's able to play forward passes as well. He's got, as we've talked about with McGinn, he's got a great engine to get up and down the pitch. And I think off the ball, he reads the game so well. He seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and he he's just suits the way that Unai Emery is trying to play. So he's the obvious one. The fact that he's been, been in great form as well this season. Um, but I don't think he's going to be rushed back. Um, I think they, they kind of brought him back a little bit ahead of schedule for the Chelsea game and he ended up breaking down. So I don't think they're, they're too keen in, in bringing him back as quick as they did last time. Uh, and when the team's playing so well, the kind of pressure to bring him back in it, it, it is off, isn't it? You know, when when teams are losing and you're missing a player of Kamara's stature, it's the old phrase that, you, you know, you you seem to improve as a player when when you're injured and you're not playing and the, the fans are kind of clamouring for you to be back in the team. But the fact that Villa have been doing so well without him means that actually the need for him to come back quickly is, is diminishing, really. I think the other players that we talk about, I mean, Leon Bailey has shown flashes of quality. Uh, I still think there is a, a quality player in there. It's just trying to find the right run of games, the right role for him. Um, and the, I think for him coming back into this team, he'll be desperate to get back. He'll be absolutely desperate to get back because it's crucial for him these last few games to try and get some minutes under his belt and to try and almost send a message to the supporters, send a message to the manager that he is he's going to be capable for Villa for next season. Dion mm. uh, Bailey is a funny one and anyone who's ever listened to me speak about him, he's got all the talent in the world. Um, he needs to prove that the Premier League is a league for him. Um, and I think that's that. I think that that's become a kind of a stumbling block upstairs for him more so than with his body at the moment. And then his body breaks down, it doesn't make it doesn't make it much easier for him. But uh, I think a good stable off season for him is is very much needed. An arm around the shoulder, and there will be competition brought in for him. And maybe that's what he needs to push him up the ranks, or maybe that's what he needs to push him on because he's still a very saleable asset. I think, regardless of what he does for Aston Villa, he's got a lot of credit in the bank based on his time in, with Leverkusen. And there will be suitors looking for Leon Bailey because they will understand he's got a, a skill set in, in an area whereby you can't teach people to be that fast, but just maybe that the league may not be a fit for him. But um, as you say, I would love to have him back for the run in. I'd love to have him maybe in an opportunity to come off the bench against a tired Spurs team, um, against maybe a, a Brighton team who's uh, the last day of the season who are coming off seven games in the month of May. Uh, you know, little things like that. So all these little idiosyncrasies kind of feed into, into uh, I suppose, good planning. And, and, and as I say, nobody likes to see pace running at them. Um, oh, I had another question. I'm just after forgetting it. Uh, <laughs> Just, just um, on Bailey, I do, I do have a bit of sympathy for Bailey because he's he's a young man coming into a new country, new league. He's had three different managers all in the space of um, probably under two years, I think, Dean Smith, Stephen Gerrard, Unai Emery. All of them have asked him to do different things. And it, that's not easy for a player to come in and, and play different roles, play different positions, play under different managers, get different instructions, all while you're trying to settle in and trying to you know, impress and make a name for himself. Maybe it's a, a kind of situation where he's almost trying too hard and maybe he just needs to relax a little bit and, and kind of get himself into um, a better space um, and a better run of games with the manager. It seems like we've got you know, a stable setup for him now. Unai Emery's not going to be going anywhere for a while. So maybe that will help him just to get a little bit of stability. 
looking at the Manchester United team again, it's uh, you, you know we, we spoke very much so about the defensive situation and uh, and we, we touched on maybe rotation within the, the forward line. Uh, there's one man that you certainly wouldn't be taking out of that team in in, in a fit of vapors, and that's Marcus Rashford. He's been himself and Ollie Watkins have been the two on form, and I suppose Harry Kane even last night he showed what he can still do. Um, but uh, Rashford and, and, and Watkins have been absolutely outstanding for um, for for the respective teams. Um, do you think that that there could ever be a situation whereby maybe for England we would ever see maybe Rashford and Watkins take the field together in any situation? Maybe even with a, a Harry Kane, a Harry Kane shaped target man up there as well, or maybe even hey, Harry Kane might even be playing the ten role, and it might be t- the two guys might be up front because we see what Kane did, <laughs> Kane did for Spurs laying on all those goals um, uh, against United. But do you think that maybe like? It, and this is this is easy for me to say, being an Irishman with no skin in the game. But do you think that there'll ever come a time that Southgate might just go, "Hey, listen, look, we've got banging form guys. Let's play them all up top, and let's drop the likes of Foden <laughs> and, and Grealish and just play with three strikers up top because they're all banging form at the moment, and and it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches that Southgate has." Yeah, I mean, the short answer is no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't that. see <laughs> I can't see that situation ever arising. Uh, I think you know. People that people that know me uh, kind of know that I'm a bit of a Gareth Southgate fan. I think he's done a great job with England, um, and I think you cannot treat international football the way you treat league football. And it doesn't matter whether you've got, you know, five of the best attacking players in the world or in the league. It doesn't mean that you can uh, play them all together at the same time and you know play this ultra attacking game in international football because sides will just pick you off. Even smaller nations will be able to to pick you off. Um, so, I mean, as much as I would love to see Ollie Watkins play for England again, I think he deserves to play for England as well, given the form that he has um, has shown over the past few months. Um, I, I, I'd almost, I want him to, to, to play with Harry Kane, but I don't want him to play out wide. Mm. I, I feel like that's taken away a little bit of what he's done over the past few months, Ollie Watkins, if he was to play out wide for England. And and simply, I, I don't think Gareth Southgate will pick him out wide either because he'll go back to the argument of, well, he's not playing there week in, week out. He'll be picking him as as a striker. And that means that Watkins is up against, um, you know, Kane, Tony, uh, Callum Wilson, Rashford, Rashford. Who, who can who can obviously play both roles as, as a striker and out wide as well. But I think Rashford is, is probably going to be next season i think manchester united will try and sign a striker in the summer and i think they'll try and sign a big name striker whether it's kane whether it's Osman, uh someone like vlajevic i think they will go out and sign a big name center forward so whether that means that um, marcus rashford moves out wide again and plays a lot more minutes out wide or whether he'll fancy his chances to to, to play up front i think he's had a fantastic season marcus rashford so we've just got to hope that he stays quiet this weekend yeah, absolutely, and he doesn't have a habit of staying quiet against Aston Villa, I must say. Mm. Um, but let's let's just hope he leaves his boots at home or something uh, at the weekend. And I suppose with that in mind, uh, David, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Uh, yeah, tough one, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to go for a score draw, so I'm going to I'm going to go towards a one-one um, and hope that we can try and pull something off. I mean. The fact is we're going there absolutely full of confidence and believing that we can win at Manchester United and there's not too many times that you go to Old Trafford and believe that you can turn them over. So that's 
fantastic in itself. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and stay on the fence and go for a a one all. Yeah, I'm going to go. Anybody who knows me, I've backed every single game since since about three games after the name where he came in. I said we're going to win it one nil, um, because we just we just feel like a team that always wins games one nil. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be my prediction, um, and everyone will find out my real prediction. I suppose in our team sheet pageant on Sunday uh, as well. It's also uh, a very big day for for Aston Villa uh, women's team as well. Aston Villa women play Manchester United women. It's on BBC Three as. Five past seven tonight, isn't it? Five past seven? Think I think so, so. yeah. yeah it's think so, yeah. going to be good watching today. Uh, Carol Ward has done sparkling work. And to be honest with you, just like Una Emery, is, it should be up there with, with discussion for manager of the year. Um, Carol Ward should be up there for, with, in the discussion for manager uh, of the year in, in, in the Women's Super League as well. And uh, they've been a credit uh, to Aston Villa as well. So I know I'll be talking into that at five past seven on BBC Three as well. I think that's going to do it for us today, David. Um, thank you so much to Dan for giving me the opportunity to present here. Um, I hope it feels better soon. And thank you so much, Dave, for, um, for for coming on to chat. Thank you so much to Adam behind the scenes as well. I know Dan gives you a bit of a tough time every so often, but he loves you deep down, I'm led to believe. And I certainly do love you, Adam. You're do, you've done a super job today. And uh, you've even prompted me about... See, people there, see people here. You might think that I remembered about the Aston Villa women's game. I did, but I would have forgot to say it and it would have been five minutes after the game. But Adam poked me there and reminded me to mention about the, about, about the women's game. And I'm delighted he did because I would have been kicking myself if he didn't. So thanks very much for that, Adam. As, as well, the, the, the show today was um, sponsored by uh, Luke Roper. And you can see the code in the top right-hand corner there, 20% off with TVV20 on anything to do with Luke Roper. And I think Dan mentioned that there's something going on in Villa Park, that Luke, there's something going on in Villa Park today and, and, and tomorrow as well. So um, look back on a previous episode to find out the details for that because I don't have those. Um, it's a sample sale. See, Adam's come up trumps again. It's <laughs> after telling me there's a sample sale on in Villa Park. So uh, see, I'll be lost without Adam today but um thanks so much everybody for watching thanks again um david for popping on as well and thanks dan for the opportunity uh going to be a mighty game on sunday against aston villa one that should really be um uh if we win it then everything's on the table and even if we lose we're still in a very very good a good position uh to to kick on and get seventh or sixth place within the league so i'm really looking forward to it and i hope you are all you all are too so in the meantime everybody stay safe stay healthy and all that's left to say is up the villa Podcast Network.